am not a very confrontational person um mm-hmm. despite my former life as a journalist uh <laughs> i am i'm very good at asking very direct questions i'm not very good at when that needs to turn confrontational uh because i was raised in the midwest and minnesota nice is a thing and i never want to step on anyone's toes or rub anyone the wrong way back to another episode of Doing the Most, The Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Georgie Ann, and today we have Amanda here with us. She's going to be sharing her story as she has become an entrepreneur and what that has been like. So Amanda, please go ahead and give us your introduction. Who are you? And tell us a little bit about your business. Hey, I'm Amanda Lean. I'm a content ghostwriter, editor, and content strategist. I've been doing this uh, as a full-time entrepreneur since the summer of 2021, although I've been doing it uh, on a part-time freelance side hustle-like basis uh, since I was 18. So it's been a while. Um, (laughs) I I have a bachelor's degree in journalism and I just earned my master's in creative writing um, because you know, I just apparently can't get enough of the craft I spend all my days doing, (laughs) which is not a bad thing, I don't think. Um, It's a blessing. And um, I work with clients uh, ranging from C-level executives to entrepreneurs like myself, businesses on pretty much every level you can think of, to ghostwrite articles, write press releases, Mm -hmm. craft their content strategy, pretty much anything content related that they need. uh, My skill set's able to fit into any niche, which is kind of the fun part. Uh, And when I'm not writing for other people, I'm writing for myself. I'm a science fiction writer. Um, My first short story will be published in September. I'm querying a novel. uh, So I just can't stop writing. It's, it's almost becoming a problem, but I'm also very grateful. So I, I can't complain. <laughs> love that. Love that. Thank you. And I want to start, you know, what got you connected to writing? How did you discover that that was your creative outlet that you wanted to pursue? Oh, yeah. So um, I, I was born chronically ill. I'm always going to be chronically ill. And as a child, I, due to chronic fatigue, which is kind of a bummer for a little kid to have, I didn't have a lot of energy to play outside, uh, to do like things that my peers were doing. Mm. Uh, I was homeschooled largely because of the restriction, you know, my mom figured, well, she's going to be out of school more than she's in school with, with these chronic conditions. (laughs) And my parents were both teachers. So they're like, well, you know, we're qualified for this. And they were, I was very blessed to have a very good education, but I spent all my time reading as a kid. Mm -hmm. And that became my hobby. That became a form of exploration that became became a way for me to gain perspectives outside of my own. And my family definitely encouraged that. And as is inevitable, the reader to writer pipeline sucked (laughs) me in. Uh, When I was about 10, I figured out that writing was something that wasn't just for school and could actually be fun. And I just never stopped. And I'm still (laughs) writing today. And I always wanted to be a journalist. So I went to journalism school. Um, I got my journalism degree. And then on the side, I was, you know, working for PR firms, marketing firms, ghostwriting articles for their clients, Mm -hmm. employing my research skills and my nosiness to do that. (laughs) Uh, And and so it just kind of all very naturally came together, you know, my giftings for the craft and my desire to become a better writer in all the different ways um, has kind of always been there. It's just grown and matured as I've grown and matured, which is a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And I love that you mentioned the, the reader to writer um pipeline uh you know I have been uh, 
sucked into that one too. Growing up similarly to you, um, you know, I was in homeschool, but my mom, anytime I would come home with homework or wanted definitions for things or spelling of words, she's like, look at a dictionary, go look it up, go look it up, go look it up. And here I am many, many years later doing for work, looking stuff up on a constant basis, writing and reading. I was like, ah, you know, it was like a, um, not a punishment, but it was just like so stressful when you're younger, but now it's like, I cannot stop. I am now addicted. Moms are never wrong. I'm coming to learn this the older that I get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love that. And so you mentioned that you decided to start this um, business, go full-time in it in 2021. So what, what, cat, what was the catalyst to making that leap? Like what said, this is the time um, and, you know, let you fully dive into entrepreneurship. Yeah, I worked in editorial for a major media group up until the spring of 2020, actually around a year ago today. Um, it was around my last day of, there was a round of layoffs and mm. um, I, I was, the, the first hired, first fired thing is certainly real. Um, and, and you know, in, in the journalistic and editorial industries, turnover is common and it's something that I was kind of prepared for as an inevitability along my path. Um, and, you know, while I had been working for this company, I had still had a few freelance clients on the side. Um, there was no competition issue. My employer was aware of it. So I figured out hey, what's the harm? Little extra income, pay down those yeah. student loans, funds all the travel that I wanted to do. <laughs> Um, in the the pre-pandemic times. Um, And so when I was laid off, a little part of me was glad that because a client of mine had recently asked if I could tackle a big project for them, Mm. um, a a special edition of white papers. And at the time I was going to have to email them and say no, because I wouldn't have been able to balance that with my job and, Mm -hmm. you know, eating and sleeping and living my life. But I was like, oh, hey, now I can say yes. And there was like a silver lining in my mind. And then the more that I job search and also worked with clients, I was like, hmm, if I just had a couple clients on retainer, this could be my full-time job instead of having to search for one where I work for someone else. And then within a week, uh, two of my clients contacted me asking me if they could retain me <laughs> and uh, meaning that I would have a monthly income as yeah. I needed. And I was like, oh, well, this is a sign. All right. And so it was, I wish I could say that I had some big intentional journey, but I really didn't. It just kind of happened to me. And I just kind of went, uh, as I like to say, I just kind of went where the Lord led me uh, because when things happen like that, it's usually for a reason and you should pay attention to the sign. Um, I also, you know, had thought about on and off because people had asked me, especially, you know, my older family members and some friends, when they found out that I did this freelancer side hustle, they would ask me, oh, like, how come you don't work for yourself as a freelancer? Being a freelance journalist, especially in my circles, was very common. But the part that was missing for me that a lot of people didn't think about is that because I have chronic health conditions that aren't covered by insurance, I need reliable income because I have to pay for my cost of living, which is high, even, you know, no matter where I live, because, you know, medication, doctor's appointments, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, literally the cost of me existing on this planet is higher and it is what it is. And that's fine. And I never expect pity or anything, but uh, I don't even like it. But it was something that I had to add to my mental math that it was hard to explain to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it wasn't just about, oh, you know, I'll you know, work for myself, become a freelancer because I have the flexibility to travel and blah, blah, blah. And I do. And that's great. And that flexibility is also nice for, you know, times when I'm sick or need to go to the doctor or, you know, whatever the case might be, I no longer have to hoard my paid time off and my sick time and all of that. And that part's really nice. But the flip side that I wish that there had been resources for me when I was making that consideration and why I'm talking about it now, in case anyone is ever listening to this, who is where I was like, no one talks about that mental math uh, when you are 
disabled, chronically ill, mentally ill, some combination, you know, whatever, where it's not as easy as can I make enough to pay my bills, feed myself and sustain my lifestyle? It's can I make enough to sustain myself because I pay for things that aren't covered by insurance? So anyway, um, all of that went into the pot. And in the the summer of 2021, I decided to stop searching for a full-time job with someone else and work for myself. And uh, I had to teach myself a lot of things, especially <laughs> during tax season, oh, but yeah. it's fine. I figured it out. I'm not in <laughs> trouble with the government and that's all I can ask for. Uh, and I've managed to keep my sense of humor through it all, which I think is uh, one of the biggest achievements that anyone should be able to tout when trying mm-hmm. to do something as insane as work for themselves after working in corporate environments. So yeah, here I am. <laughs> Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that story and that journey. And there's some pieces that I want to dive into. And again, for the listeners out there, you know, that she mentioned mental math, right? So everyone's unique life situation is going to determine whether they are ready to jump into entrepreneurship or realistically, you know, can they do this at this time or at any, at any point, right? Not because you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to start your own business means to just kind of um, follow the narrative that's out there, you know, quit your job and start your business. That, that sounds all fun and, and great. And like, oh yeah, life changes in, in, in the moment, but we have to be realistic around it is like, okay, what is my cost of living? So, you know, in Amanda's case, it's, um, calculating what it would cost for uh, medications and medical appointments for another person. It could be, um, you know, calculating the cost for their children, another person calculating the cost to take care of their parents, right? There's so many, um, you know, calculating the cost of their, you know, things, just day-to-day things that allow us to function and just be feeling okay so that way we can be a hundred percent for ourselves and then be able to provide that hundred percent for our clients, customers, product services, or teams or employees, whatever we decide to build out as entrepreneurs. And so I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, what was your process behind that mental math and, um, how did it feel having to do that? And, you know, you say people don't talk about this enough. What are some things that you want to share? You started sharing some already, but what are some of the things that you, you, realized you had to calculate and you didn't even think about or, um, you know, have an idea that you would even have to touch this stuff before. So you mentioned taxes, medical bills, like, are there anything else that you have, is there anything else that you have to really think through and, um, you know, kind of caught you off guard? Yeah. I mean, so I grew up in an environment where money was always tight. And so I I had to unpack a lot of kind of like PTSD around (laughs) financial security. Um, but I, I was very fortunate in that, with all of that, you know, kind of the tight purse strings I grew up with. I also grew up with a very, um, kind of a very empirical and logical mindset toward money. Mm. Um, money was not, money was not good nor bad. It was the thing that you needed to live in, in, in the world. And so manage it well and don't screw up essentially was the, (laughs) was the mentality I was raised with. So I, I was a very good budgeter. I was a very good saver. I was a very stingy spender, probably almost too much, unless it was on gifts for my friends per my mother. Um, and so when I was doing these calculations, it was kind of, it was in the moment I knew what I needed to make, but I also wanted to look ahead to the future. Um, and doing that mental math was the hardest part because the future is as we know full well, very Mm -hmm. uncertain. Um, and while I'm not going to say my exact age, I will say that I am under the age of 26, meaning that I can still be on my parents' health insurance. And so, you know, I had, even when I was doing that math, I was thinking what's going to happen in X amount of years when that changes, you know, when I have to insure myself, what's that going to look like? Then I started thinking at the time I was living at home uh, with my parents uh, because 
my uh, mother had asked that I did. So she is also similarly um, chronically ill as I am. And so, uh, you know, wanted me to stick around and help out. And I was happy to do it. I mean, also, I love my parents. They're stuck with me forever. Um, (laughs) But so I started thinking, doing the calculation of could I move out? If so, when could I ever buy a house? What does that look like? I'm looking at the future as opposed to just being in the moment. And when I was, again, like I listened to podcasts like this one, when I was trying to obtain and glean knowledge, guidance, perspective on what I was about to do. And, you know, I, a lot of people giving this money advice about, you know, and it's all great advice of, oh, if you think about, you know, being self-employed, like what's your runway, what, what do you need to like sustain yourself while you get clients, all of this stuff. And I was like, Hey, but what happens after? Like, what do I do to plan for the after? And there wasn't a lot of literature out there that was just for entrepreneurs. All of the literature out there was about, here's how to start your own company and then scale it. I don't want to scale. I don't want to become a CEO of a, you know, 500 person company. I want it to be me. And I would love to hire a couple of, you know, other freelancers someday and pay them a fair rate of pay that I did not receive when I was 18 and just starting out. And I want to give back in that way, but I don't want to start a company. Like a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's not that's it's amazing if that's for you. It's just not my personal thing. I am an introvert. I have a lot of leadership qualities from being an older sister, but have no interest in exercising them (laughs) to that extent. Like I'm good. And so I kind of eventually I just kind of had to stop overthinking myself into the hole of never making a decision and get out of the hole and figure, you know, I know enough to do enough of the right thing with my money. And as the time gets closer, especially because we were still living in in the time of COVID when I was making mm-hmm. these choices, I'm like, honestly, the world is probably not going to look the same when I am about to turn 26 and I have to think about that. So I know enough of like what I need to think about and how I need to think about it. I don't have to have an answer right now. And it then also became clear to me that I was uh, using those decisions as a way to like not make a decision. And I was like, mm, like that's yes. not good. <laughs> All right. So I, I held myself accountable and I was like, we're just going to like put the anxiety away as much as anyone with anxiety can and just move on. And so I did. Um, and, you know, I still, you know, I consider these things when I open up my budget, when I do my books every month, but it's not something that weighs on me anymore. It's just like, okay, I'll just keep this in mind for the next month, year whatever. And it is what it is. I will, I will figure it out when the time is right, but especially as things keep changing and, mm-hmm. you know, clients come and go and the, you know, the state of the world is ever shifting. You know, I'm, I know where my priorities should be and it's not on stressing out about the future just yet. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, um, something that I always hear from like, you know, therapists and, and just people that are focused on, you know, getting that solid point of point of mental health and I also now have like took on this term and just really in my day-to-day you know focus on what we can control so many things are out of our control and like you mentioned a lot of us get stuck in analysis paralysis right we just are analyzing 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 and not making decisions and there are some decisions that we can make and leave enough up to chance that and and moving forward then within a confidence that okay I I know that I'm a smart person I know I'm a strategic person and I know that I, I'm willing to do the work to figure this out. So I'm just going to make a decision. And if it is the right decision, yay me. And if it isn't the best decision at that point, when it is discovered that it's not the best decision, I know I have the skills to then say, how can we fix this? Or how can I pivot and make a change in order to go into a direction that is healthier? And at that time, you know, move from another direction and the same thing may happen. Um, like you said, a couple months or a couple years along the line, but we cannot keep being stuck with the, 
you know, with our own excuses, right? Um, I'm in a mastermind group and my, my coach yesterday, she said, you know, um, you're in your own way. It's you, you're the problem. I said, Oh, why would you say that to me? (laughs) But, you know, even as we grow and, you know, we, we, um, develop these skills and we think we're getting better. We're most of the times it's us as the individual that's in our very own way. And yes, there's Mm -hmm. real things happening around us, COVID health conditions, mental, um, you know, finances, a lot of these things are in around us and they exist, but us or, or, or mindset or thinking or actions, um, is going to be the thing that either makes us get a really good opportunity or keeps us stuck where we are. So thank you so much for sharing that. And another point I want to point out that you mentioned is that, um, financial stability, right. You know, I think education around financial literacy is, is not great, right. It has improved significantly over the last few years, but I think, especially like you said, in, in the frame of entrepreneurship and what that looks like, and a lot of people are chanting, you know, build that billion dollar business. But what if you just want to make enough to cover your expenses, have investments, like you said, build a small team of freelancers. What does that look like? And why is it not as celebrated as, you know, billion dollar valuation and, you know, NFTs and all these big, big things that folks are talking about. The person that is running a mom and pop shop, the person that is running a service-based business in their name and having a small team is just as stressed, (laughs) is just as overworked, is just as overburned, you know, burnt out and has to make these decisions and and, and make a lot of these entrepreneurial choices as the person in this big valuation company kind of um, essence. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, now the favorite question of the podcast, you know, tell us about a misadventure and we talked about some of the ups and downs, but is there something, um, a specific story or an experience that you had while, uh, building out and going, you know, full throttle into entrepreneurship that you experienced? Oh yes. Many of them. Uh, so I am not a very, confrontational person um Mm -hmm. despite my former life as a journalist uh (laughs) i am i'm very good at asking very direct questions i'm not very good at when that needs to turn confrontational uh because i was raised in the midwest and minnesota nice is a thing and i never want to step on anyone's toes or rub anyone the wrong way Uh, and and also like i'm in a business where people matter and people just generally like personally people matter matter to me very much Mm -hmm. and i value the relationships that i've created with clients with former clients with my friends, my family, people around me. And I just moved. And so I'm like meeting all these people. And, you know, that all matters very much to me. That said, um, there was a time in the beginning of this year where I had to confront a client because we're no, I, I, we're no longer working together because they had contracted me and retained me to come on under a very specific set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. And they even signed my contract. And the contract that I provided, we, 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 my clients and I trade contracts. So everything's mm-hmm. kosher on both sides. And I, we traded contracts and mine specifically says, you know, this is, I, I am, I am your contractor. I work on a project and deliverable based system. Uh, you can just basically set it and forget it with me, all of this stuff. And I do yeah. that to protect my time because to me, my time is just as valuable as my money um, for, for many reasons. Uh, but this client essentially expected me to work a full-time job for them on a salary that was not a full-time job. And they, they expected, they expected availability uh, between seven. What would that be? I have to do the, because they're, they were in a different time zone even. So they expected availability for essentially 10 hours of my day, Monday through Friday um, to hop on meetings at a moment's notice to do this, to do that, to do the other. And the thing is, is while I had put in my, in my contract, 
um, that I have since had a lawyer review because I learned my lesson. Um, but while I had put in my contract, all of this deliverable based stuff, there was nothing in there that explicitly stated I would, I, you know, you are by signing this, you're saying that you are not expecting me to work, you know, solid full-time hours. You're not expecting uh, me to be able to come onto meetings with you at the drop of the hat, please give mm-hmm. me 48 hours. And I was like, all of these little things that I did not think that I had to put in there, um, but learned very quickly that like, if you don't, people will take advantage. And it wasn't yep. so much that, you know, it wasn't so much like, oh, I didn't put it in the contract. It was more of the thing is that when I sat down at the table with the client to confront them about the expectation shift, I didn't have anything to point to and say, you agreed to this. And that felt oh. frustrating to me um, because I like to set expectations up front. I, you know, former life as a journalist, I like to be clear. I like to be concise. I like to be transparent. Like all of these things are things I believe in very strongly. And I failed to do that because I didn't know what I needed to include in this contract because it never dawned on me that that was going to be a conversation we had to have. So uh, that was a little stressful, um, but I grew a lot as a person and my, my uh, contract and statement of work grew a lot. And I realized <laughs> that like, maybe I should have like a professional look at this a little bit more than I originally had, because this was not good, uh, but lesson learned, life goes on. Uh, but I often think about that, especially when it comes to like conversations I've had with new freelancers about rate setting and about expectation mm-hmm. setting. Um, I've been very fortunate to, in recent weeks, have a growing platform on LinkedIn of freelancers, both new and and experienced who have been engaging with me around the conversation of compensation and, you know, how much freelancers are worth and why companies aren't paying us what we are worth and how to negotiate for yourself and on and on it goes. And to, I'm certainly not qualified to lead this conversation, except for the fact that I have my own stories to share, but I am honored nonetheless that I get to do that because I don't want some, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kid who is now where I once was to feel the same way. Uh, nor do I want someone who was, you know, where I was, you know, in the beginning of this year, having to have those same conversations of, hey, it really feels like you thought you could get, you know, a, a freelancer or full-time worker rather on a freelancer salary. Exactly. That's not yeah. going to fly. Well, let, let's talk about it. Uh, so that was a, that was a hard lesson learned, but you know, all we can do when we get into those binds, I feel is figure out how to address it in the best and most responsible and most respectful way we can. And I think I did that. So I'll take it. (laughs) Absolutely. So some of those things that I want to point out from that story is just, you mentioned um, one, not knowing what you don't know, right? So as people person, um, you know, and a lot of entrepreneurs, especially the person that's in charge, you know, the, the founder, CEO, et cetera, um, value people really a a lot right we want to maintain relationships and having that feeling that you know we're going to maintain this relationship you're going to respect me I'm going to respect you sometimes lowers our guard and we don't realize that they're like you said contractual things that we have to point back to um and people will take advantage you know I also learned that lesson in a very hard way and you know we've had a few uh similar stories but completely similar effects with completely different stories and experiences from a, a few folks on this podcast, because, you know, it's, it think, you know, pe- people are your best friends until you get a contract involved and you're working for them. Right. And yep. the point oh, yeah. where it's like, I've gotten policies now. I'm like, listen, if you're going to ask me for a favor and you're a friend, we're going to just do it as a favor. You're not going to pay me. But if you're working, if you're trying to get my team and you're working with my business, there's going to be a contract. You're going to follow these rules. We're not going to be friendly after, you know, business hours. Let's go hang out. Let's go grab a bite. Let's, you know, we'll be friends again. But while this is happening, we are clients. You know, you're my client. I'm your client or uh, we're partners, whatever it is. 
that's how it has mm-hmm. to be, you know, setting those boundaries. I think, you know, that's what really the contract does is set those boundaries. And like you said, has something that you can revert back to. Um, and for folks that are listening, depending on what part of your business you are at, there are a lot of free resources as well as um, reasonably priced resources out there for you to connect with a lawyer pro bono for like a quick consultation um, or plus f- platforms like Rocket Lawyer or LegalZoom, where you could get, um, you know, contracts reviewed and things like that. And there's a bunch of different lawyers that have reasonable rates, um, SCORE or SBA. So tap into your local resources if you, you know, not sure if you know any lawyers. Write on LinkedIn, hey, my network is a lawyer that I could have a conversation with. This is, a, you know, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to build and get your contracts looking good. Uh, and then the next mm-hmm. thing I want to point out is, you know, the feelings um, that happen behind firing a client and or being fired by a client. Um, before um, really diving into, or I guess leveling up as an entrepreneur, I had so much anxiety around firing a client and or being fired by a client because it felt like it said something about me or who I was, but realistically it just says right now we're not meant to work together and that's okay. That may change. You know, there's clients that I've fired and or been fired by that we ended up working together again in the future, but it was just at this time and date, how this contract needs to be executed, we cannot work together to execute this contract. Um, And so what was your relationship, you know, if you're open to sharing that happened after the experience of um, parting ways with the client? Like, how did that make you feel during it? And like, how do you feel now about that experience? I think in the moment, I was honestly relieved um, because I did try to to meet these expectations because I was afraid of losing the money and the income. But I was like barreling toward burnout almost Mm. faster than I had ever barreled toward burnout in my life. I think the the only time that it was worse was my first job out of college when I was a small town journalist. And that was like so bad. But this was, you know, right up there. And the thing is, you know, for for me as as someone who's chronically ill, like my, my body, like is very much tied Mm. to like my stress level. So the physical effects were astronomical. And my poor mother was watching this go down and she was just like, you know, I don't know what's going on with you, but like, you are clearly like physically not okay. Like you're dropping weight. You're not working out anymore, which is what I loved to do work out and dance and all that. She was like, you're not doing that. You're always like working. Like, mm-hmm. are you good? And I was like, no, I'm not, but I'm trying to fix it. It's fine. As one does, you know, I'm the oldest kid. It's my job to act like everything's fine. Um, not really. <laughs> I felt but, that you know. same here. Oldest, you know, it's like this. And then even that pressure, right. Let's talk about it. Uh-huh. Like that pressure of, you know, being a staple or the oldest or, you know, not yeah, deemed most responsible or like, the backbone yep. of your family, it, it, it so much pressure, so yep. much pressure in everything oh, yeah. that you have to do. Um, so, you know, thank you so much for, for sharing that experience. And, you know, as I mentioned, um, you know, we want to talk about the impacts um, of health, right? Mental health, physical health that entrepreneur brings on. So, you know, like you say, your stress level is tied to the um, physical, you know, you have a, a chronic illness that has, you know, I'm pretty sure that makes the impact a lot higher. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't have a chronic illness, but I do know that my body starts reacting to, to stress. Mm-hmm. I could, I could only imagine. Um, so, you know, what, what is that like, you know, and how do you, what are some of the things you mentioned, start, you just started mentioning like exercising, um, and dancing, but how do you manage that? Whether it's your, your physical, um, chronic illness or your, um, you know, your mental state when you, as, as an entrepreneur, what are some of the, the things that you have brought into your life to help you maintain and not reach burnout and, um, you know, feel good every, every day and continue to be your best self. 
First thing that I started doing, and I only implemented this a couple months ago, because I, I like to, whenever I, I start to feel either mentally, physically, or both, that something is wrong, I always am like, okay, how do I problem solve this before it gets worse? Because I know what it looks like when it's at its worst. And I don't want to measure there. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So one of the first things that I did was I, I blocked off my calendar on Mondays mm-hmm. so that I do not take uh, any meetings unless it is like in, you know, an emergency or an accident circumstance where like, no, the other person cannot meet any day, but Monday that happens. That's fine. But no Monday meetings for me. I block that off on my personal calendar and on my work calendar. And the reason why I do that is twofold. The first of which is that uh, for a while I used to have regular medical appointments every Monday. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I would not be at hundred percent in terms of like, you know, work capacity that day anyway, but even when those stopped um, and because I moved and we no longer see each other, but we do telemedicine, it's not as much of a heft. Um, I wanted to have one day a week and I've heard people talk about this before. They call them CEO days or, you know, hard focus days or something like that. Uh, Whatever you call them, like it's just a day where you do your thing with your head down without anyone needing your attention, your time, your energy, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and so that's, that's how I work best. You know, I, it's funny to me whenever I read, um, whenever I read, uh, articles that talk about how, you know, splitting your focus between all these things is really bad for you and your brain. And like, it is, and that's not a lie, but it's funny because for me, because uh, part of what my chronic illness does is it affects my neurological processing. And so I am the kind of person where if I am going to do something, I need to do the entire thing in one sitting, or my brain will lose the thread of what I'm doing. Mm. So there is no in between. (laughs) It is very hard to stop something, put it down and then try to pick it up again later because my brain like literally cannot hold on to what we were doing before. Um, I don't know how I managed to write a novel, but that is insane to me, given all of this, but whatever, it's fine. And then God does your magical. Let's, 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 let's I guess, or I'm just insane either or both. Uh, but I, so Mondays, Mondays are my day to take those projects Mm -hmm. that I need hours of uninterrupted time to work on for clients and just get them all done. And then I have the rest of the week to edit them, fix whatever chaos I wreaked upon myself in the (laughs) Google doc, um, you know, do, you know, respond to emails, do all of like the other, you know, client facing stuff, but giving myself that one day a week has gone a long way into making sure that I feel like I'm not only taking the space that I need to work the way that I need to, but also just like taking care of myself in general, because I don't have meetings on Monday. I can not put on makeup you know, wear whatever I want. I can go work out at two o'clock in the afternoon, drive over to my mom's house and play with her cat, like whatever. Like if I, if I need, you know, something outside of my routine, because we all go a little crazy, you know, especially in these times, you know, not having, Mm -hmm. you know, all of our regular activities, um, you know, it's good to do that. It sounds like it's frivolous maybe to some people, but it works for me. And the other thing, you know, kind of along that, because that's what I always tell people is I have stopped caring about what the world at large seems to prescribe as the best way to do things. That sounds like such a line, but like, (laughs) I, I am very young and I've already figured out that life is very short and we are all doing our best. And I, I have tried the conformity thing. I have tried to make myself, you know, work and think and operate and do the way everyone else does. And I found two things. First of all, that doesn't work for me because like, I, you know, I like everyone else on this planet, I'm a unique individual with my own support needs and my own ways that I work best and then so on and so forth. And, um, and that's fine. That's good. Like embracing my individuality is good. And I hope that it inspires other people to do the same because life is too short, but it also, it also has 
empowered me to be as genuine as I can be when it comes to how I present. And that in turn has, if we're looking at, you know, business dividends, that in turn has actually attracted more clients to me. People have seen the way that I comport myself in professional spheres like LinkedIn, like with my existing clients. And they've been like, this is refreshing. That's some, that's, that's a phrase that multiple people have said to me in the past month alone. This is, you're really refreshing. I want to work with you. And it's, it's like, oh, I'm just like saying things on the internet, but yeah, let's set up a call. Like, you know, I, I never, I never intend to, you know, get more clients by being myself on LinkedIn or, you know, bring mm-hmm. people in, you know, based on how I be, I just do my best to be a good person and be my best. Um, and, and I'm glad that people, that it resonates with people, but I also think that I would not have the emotional energy and capacity to be that genuine mm. if I didn't do what I needed to do to take care of myself. Because when I am, when I'm burnt out, exhausted and stressed, I become the opposite of the person you see before you today, just flat affect, you know, super, you know, intense and almost harsh. And like, it's, it's not good. I don't like the person that I become. So I try to mitigate that. So I can keep being my, this is me. This is who I am like this, you know, slightly hyped up, possibly over-caffeinated, super passionate person is me. And I would like to be that person. And I can't be that person if I'm burnt out. So that's all tied into the answer. And I will stop rambling now. (laughs) No, I love that. And you know, I, it's not often, and I'll give you the refreshing quote, like it's, it's not often that I get to come across people like you that have come to this realization. Right. And I think um, there's this quote that I like that it goes, um, everyone, every, it's like every man has two lives. Um, every man has two lives. And the second one begins when he realizes that he, he only has one. And I came across that quote maybe, quote maybe like two years ago, but I've been on this, this very similar journey, right? I'm super young as well. And I've come to the conclusion that when I put on this mask or pretend for other people, I get burnt out a lot faster. I hate everything. I'm just like, Literally, I'll whisper under my breath, like, why are you so silly? I don't like this. And then I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. and, you know, I become this fake, like, <laughs> plastic yeah. person. Like, I don't have as much fun. I don't feel, I just don't feel good physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like all the things, finance, everything just kind of goes out of whack. And But when I am my true self, that mitigates burnout, like you said, and just, it's a preventive measure. And COVID, if, if we didn't know this before that life is short, COVID really showed us that. And it's like, are you going to live this life that you're pretending to be someone or something that you don't enjoy? Or are you just going to say, you know, screw it. There is, there are people that will embrace me and love me. And that may be my family and it may not be my family, but there's billions of humans on this world. I can find my tribe. There's like, I think there's like, um, what is it called? Um, this group that like praises spaghetti, like a spaghetti God or something like that. And they're having the time of their life. Them. good for them <laughs> there's a dude on like tiktok that decided to turn himself into like a lizard he cut off a couple of his fingers i'm like this guy oh, yeah living his best life he got He's doing great grand endorsements and i'm here stressed out why <laughs> he's a lizard there. right you know so yeah you know, i think i think making that decision is you know how we unlock like you know there's like books that are talking about like the secret and like the 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 the, the gift of life and all these things. And that is it. Like just ag- acknowledging that you must be yourself and shout outs to, you know, the upcoming generations. I think the, um, was it Gen, Gen Z and like the, what did they call the, the smallest babies? Alpha. Gen right? Alpha. Yeah. Yeah. Like they are good. They will be fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're just embracing it. Just like, you know, a lot of these things over the last couple of years, you know, things that I got bullied for was insecure about as a child. Now it's trending and it's popular. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, what? 
the amount of anxiety and stress and you know so I'm just like if it will if the tides will turn things will become cool and trendy and not become cool and trendy but just be yourself right just be the best self that you can be every day and whatever that looks like if it's playing with your mom's cat if it's you know going to the beach if it's just not doing anything watching Netflix for a couple hours and just eating some yogurt and ice cream or whatever do that to make sure that you're good so that way you can output and interact with the world because we do have to interact with each other um and we've we're coming to the close now so you know this has been an amazing episode thank you so much for sharing your story and I want you to leave the audience with um you know if they took nothing else from this episode what would you want them to leave with um you know it could be inspiration it could be a quote it could be an action item so I'm, I'm passing it over to you uh, I think the first thing, probably the most important thing is, uh, especially if you are listening to this and you are an entrepreneur who is in the position that I was in the summer of 2021, um, and I say this with all the love in my heart, do not rush this decision, mm-hmm. especially now when you know I'm on TikTok and Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere I turn, there's all this stuff about you know glamorizing, ditching the nine to five grind and starting your own business. And that's great if you can. But do not feel bad and do not let anyone else make you feel bad if you cannot do that right now. Or if you do not want to do that, if your idea of the life you want to live is to become an entrepreneur, you know, and and also work a part or full-time job for someone else to feel taken care of for benefits, for whatever, there is absolutely no shame in the game. Like it is, it is up to you. Like you need to craft your life. And while it is helpful to take in the perspectives and thoughts of others, do not ever let that influence the way you think you should be living because those people on the other side of the screen, even the people in your family, in your household, like they are not you. They will not have to live with the consequences of your decisions as much as you will. Mm -hmm. So you need to make the choice that works best for you. So do not rush into things. The hype is great, but it's just hype. And you need to be responsible for your happiness, your well-being, your financial stability, your emotional stability, et cetera, et cetera. And the other piece of advice I would say, this is more general, is if you think that something is not okay with you, with your mental health, with your work environment, with you know anything like open your mouth and say something. It sounds kind of harsh. And as I you have heard, I do not like to be harsh, but open your mouth, say something. Even if you don't know what the problem is, plopping down on the couch with your significant other, uh, your friend, a therapist, I firmly believe everyone should go to therapy at least Mm -hmm. once in their life. Uh, You know, talking about it, communicating what's wrong, not only, you know, helps you figure out a solution, but it also eases your subconscious. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've, I've done a lot of research about that because I have what's called adrenal fatigue, meaning that my body does not physically process stress very well. So I have to be really careful about how I process stress mentally because my body has no resources to deal with it on a physical level. And so getting it out of your system, literally, and figuring out how to solve that problem goes a long way into solving pretty much any sort of, you know, issue you feel like you're having, but it all starts with opening your mouth and saying something. Mm -hmm. So as I like to tell my friends, when in doubt, spit it out. Just, <laughs> just talk about it. it and, and it's going to be okay. Whatever it is, like it's never as bad as you think it is once it leaves your mouth. In fact, it's worse if it's just rattling around in your brain, stressing you out. Source, me. I've done that a lot. Uh, so be better than me. That's my advice. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amanda. This has been a fun episode. Um, you know, spit it out. Like I feel like that is life-saving advice. I've used that so many times with my toddler. And now, you know, just, just saying it, like, I, I, I didn't look at it that way, you know, when it's physical things, you know, it's like, get it out. 
um mm-hmm. you know but when it's emotional mental things we, we oh let's keep it into ourselves no one's gonna it's not gonna matter to anyone but yes share what you need to share um if you want to check out um more information about amanda it will be in the show notes and if you're watching on youtube it's going to be in the description box below definitely check her out on linkedin social media instagram and everything like that thank you again um a million times for being here and keeping it real um amanda you have been refreshing <laughs> Thank I had you. To, I appreciate it. I had to do that. And, and it, it's coming from the bottom of my heart and it's for real and it's so yeah. true. So thank you so much. And everyone will catch you in another episode of Doing the Most, The Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. Bye. Bye.